You're listening to Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 259. It kind of takes the fun out of it, having all the chocolate around you. I'd rather have some cake sometimes. (laughs) Attention gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, Gift Biz Gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and as always, I'm so happy to have you joining me here today. And I've got exciting news. The doors for enrollment into Makers MBA are now open. This is my signature business development program that serves as a resource for you for the life of your business. I'm only running one class this year, so if you're interested, the time to get a spot is now. How do you know if this program is for you? If you've been dreaming about starting a handmade business, but you felt like it's going to be too time-consuming or overwhelming and scary you're just not sure what steps to take, this is for you. Or if you've started your business, but you're frustrated and anxious because it's not bringing in the sales you expected, and you're not sure what to do now to turn things around, this program is also for you. We work together for four and a half months, and in the end, you'll have a business that's set up properly. You'll know all the components and actions that go into owning a business that will thrive, And you'll have access to refer back to all the information as your business continues to grow and change. Now, this is the only place that I do hot seat coaching, so we can work on your specific issues. This is not an old-fashioned lecture type class. You learn and then apply what's right for you based on where you are in your own business creation. And no, a prior business degree is not required. So if you're a gifter, baker, crafter, or maker, and you're serious about starting or growing your handmade product business, go to giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash makers MBA for all the details. Remember, you only have one chance to get in this year, and enrollment is only open for a short time. That link again is giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash makers MBA. With that major announcement now done, let's talk about the topic of our show today. We're going behind the scenes in the candy world, kind of like Willy Wonka-ish, I guess. (laughs) With food restrictions and allergies continually on the rise, businesses have to consider what it means for their products and their customers. You're going to hear how one chocolatier found this trend to be an opportunity and is capitalizing on it big time. You'll get ideas for your own product development, and we talk a lot about owning and running a retail shop, including clever advice on how to predict a good employee. Interesting stuff coming your way. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Kim Decker of Skip's Candies. Kim is a second-generation chocolatier. Her son Colton, now 11, was only one year old when he suffered an anaphylactic reaction to some peanut butter. This immediately provoked a feeling of fear no parent should ever have to experience. In learning about cross-contamination and the severity of a peanut and tree nut allergy, Kim and her husband Mike soon learned he couldn't eat anything that was traditional retail candy. This inspired Kim to take a negative and turn it into a positive so no child feels left out or different. Having a safe line of chocolates and candies is very personal and dear to her heart because, as Kim says, a nut shouldn't spoil the fun. I just love that quote, Kim. Welcome to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Thank you for having me. I am so excited that you're here and I'm going to have you join in with what has become a tradition on the show. And that is have you describe yourself through a motivational candle. So if you had a candle that really resonated with you, what color and quote would be on your candle? My candle color would be green. And green I chose because it's like the earth. And I believe that everything, as you said in the intro, 
I like to take a negative and turn it into a positive, meaning I always like to look on the brighter side of things. So you naturally are then positive just by nature anyway, because that's how I am too. I try to be. Sometimes it's hard and you need to look past the negative and think that there's always something ahead that can make things better. It just takes one thing to change everything. It's true. So you consciously say, okay, this is a negative situation, but how can I make this positive? And honestly, that's the basis behind your whole company. Really? Yes. Yes, it is. In the words of a friend, unfortunately, a past friend, is that he said, if you always sat there and said, if you change it to I get to from I have to, it could change your entire experience. Oh my gosh, I so agree with you. So that is probably a quote that I do live by because a lot of times I will sit there and think, oh, I have to do this. But if I change it to, I get to do this. Not everybody can do what I do. It does make a difference. You know, I think as all women here who are listening who start their business, before you start, you're looking from the outside in and you're thinking, oh my gosh, they're so lucky. They get to do this. They get to do this. They get to do this. And then when you're actually in it and challenges come up, the wording flips, just like you're saying. It's like, oh, I've got to do this or, oh, we got to get into this today instead of I get to do it. I like that. You get two quotes on your candle, I think. Okay. Because I really like that one too. All right. So you shared a little bit about the situation with Colton where you found out that there was this concern. And so how did that start to morph into something that you could even consider a business? Take us back there. Making candy in our retail store downstairs when he was just a baby. You already had a candy shop at that point? Yes, we've been at um, second generation. It was started by my father. So we go back probably about 26 years, 27 years. I'd be 11 years ago, I guess 10 years ago now when he went anaphylactic, realizing I had him in the candy store. I felt like I couldn't touch anything. I felt like he couldn't be in there when we we're making peanut butter fudge. When we were working with peanuts or tree nuts because of the dust, the allergist really told us our house should be completely nut free no peanuts, no tree nuts, and to be extremely careful. The one thing that they told me was that every time he ingested, it could be worse. And we got lucky the first time. So having him even in our candy store was nerve wracking. We turned around. I started making small batches at home of chocolate and he loved it. Started packaging it up and putting some in the retail store. And from there, it turned into a lot more people asking for it some other retail candy stores asking if I could supply them with it. I rented another building in the same area where my other store, my retail store is, and started trying to produce out of that. I did some birthday parties and I realized it was very hard for me to keep control over the nut aspect of people coming in. You can't lock it down. And I didn't feel comfortable saying something was nut free at that point with the public almost coming in and out. So I gradually stopped doing birthday parties and realized I needed a bigger facility as more retail customers were seeking me out. And I built a facility which now houses all of our nut-free chocolates. This is a second division of the business. We still do nut products. We still have the retail store that still carries our nut products. I see. That makes a lot of sense because Skip's Candies was already an established brand, as you were saying, from a generation past. Correct. But that had to be such a crazy time, though, because you had to be thinking, oh, my gosh, like this is our business, being the chocolatier with the retail shop. And now with the concerns about Colton, then having to recreate something, that had to be such an upheaval for the entire business. It was. It was learning about the cross-contamination. It was learning about what his levels are, testing the waters. And one thing I stick by is if I would not give it to my own son, I will not put it in my wholesale line. If I'm uncomfortable with something, because you're dealing with people's lives at this point. And unfortunately, the FDA doesn't have as many guidelines for nut allergies as they do maybe somebody who's gluten-free. Even today? Even today, yes. So now do you then produce out of separate kitchens? The factory is where we produce all of our molds, our chocolate-covered pretzels, our caramel, our marshmallow. I mean, we have a large line under nut-free. 
but our turtles, anything containing nuts, our everyday fudge, which we do like different flavors with is done in our retail location. So there's two separate locations. Got it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And I have to tell you, I wasn't sure when I was tasting the product if it was going to taste different, because I really don't think apart from something that is like a turtle that obviously has the larger nuts, you kind of forget about the fact that there's a lot of hidden ingredients that don't even come out in the final product as you thinking that there are nuts. To your point about the traditional retail candy, there's so much that you can't have. And I know this because we have some members of our family who have the peanut and tree nut allergies too. And I was shocked to see how wide it really spans. I had no idea. It's definitely a good cause is where I'll start You were seeing immediate reception, it sounds like, in your retail shop, right? Yes, we were. Usually what we find is when somebody finds us, they are repeat customers. And that is because we have such a unique product. The other retail candy stores purchase from us because they cannot recreate what we do. They can recreate the same maybe Easter Bunny, the same design, but they cannot guarantee that it's nut free. So really, my competition is minimal. Mm -hmm. And I don't compete with every local candy store when it comes to that. Well, you have kind of four different facets to your business. So you have regular candy that contains nuts. You have your nut free and then you have retail and then you have wholesale, right? Correct. So all those combinations together. Correct. Do you treat them as separate businesses in terms of employees and structure and all that? Or how is your setup with all the variations? Depending on the time of season, I can tell you right now in the factory, we are extremely busy because it's Easter. So making bunnies and filling orders for Easter becomes extremely crazy this time of year. I do at this time pull people from our retail location and bring them in to help out making stuff. Obviously, they're ones who have been trained in the past or that we feel can handle it. Other people are usually specifically hired for the factory or specifically for the retail. There's a couple floaters, I guess, is what I could say. It's all under one corporation. Right. So you almost are a little bit different divisions, but you have people who are cross-trained. And you've got a lot of resources then to pull from, which is nice. You can go back and forth, as you were saying. Correct. So a question, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because this question comes to mind for me, is how did you even figure out how to make candy that was nut-free? Because I was just talking about the fact, and you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm no expert here for sure, but there are so many ingredients you would use besides just including peanuts, let's say, in a chocolate bar. Other ingredients also have some element of potential trace nut characteristics, if you will, I'm thinking. Well, what it is, is you have your base chocolate. Cargill carries all different types of chocolates. You have Hershey, any of them. And to tell you the truth, when the chocolate starts out, chocolate is nut free when it initially is made. What happens is, is it's the products that you use within the facility that can cause cross-contamination to taint it. So the chocolate that we use is chocolate that every other chocolatier would use. The only thing we do is we make sure that nuts do not make it into this facility. One way of doing that is we contact each manufacturer of items that are our raw materials to see if there is a chance of contamination. If there is, we do not go with them. If there isn't, we do ask for a letter letting us know that they don't have nuts in their facility. A lot of the products that we use or that we make, I should say, for instance, right now, our bunnies are solid or they're semi-solid. So it's just plain chocolate. There's nothing else added on. Sometimes there's little decals we put on. That supplier is a nut-free supplier. They don't carry anything in their system, in their facility that would be with nuts or tree nuts, peanuts, tree nuts. Our caramel, we make ourselves and that's just, you got brown sugar, you got your base ingredients. And a lot of times dairy doesn't seem to have nuts in it unless you're going to an almond milk or something if they would produce something like that in their facility. Right. But the one thing that you can't do then, like let's say you're buying from a certain where you buy your chocolate, let's say one of your chocolate vendors, they then Mm -hmm. have to ship chocolate to both your retail shop where you're making candy and then also your factory where it's not free. Yes. Well, we use the same chocolate in both places. So usually the shipment of chocolate comes to the factory and it's stored in a chill room. And as the retail store needs it, we bring it over. But then it never comes back in. Like, let's say you were short in the factory, it would never come back that way. 
Absolutely not. Once it makes it out of here, it never comes back. (laughs) (laughs) Right. For the reasons we were just describing. So and then are there certain legal things that you have to do to then classify yourself as not free? Unfortunately, that goes back to the FDA and their rules again. And there is no guidelines that at this time, there are talks of some things changing. I take precautions myself. Uh, We happen to have an allergen detector dog. Her name is Chessie. And also what we do is we swab our machines and send them out to a lab to have them test it for any traces to make sure nothing got in. If for some reason, God forbid, something ever made its way in, that's when you do a recall, obviously. And that's what you see a lot of times on TV. They have those big recalls because of whatever may have Mm -hmm. happened. Right. So that's really interesting because, well, first off, you've seen the market and you've seen the need and you've kind of niched yourself in. We're just going to talk about the allergy-free side of the business, okay? Yep. So you've niched yourself in because a lot of people aren't going to go to the extent that you've gone to just to confirm that that's the case. So that's been really helpful for you, it sounds like, because there are a lot of retail shops who want to buy from you because they're not going to make it themselves, right? So they're getting it from you. So that's a huge opportunity, a huge opening for you. When you're talking with them, do you go through, is this part of your sales pitch or do you even need that anymore because you're so established in the industry of being nut free? I think that there's still a lot of people out there who do not understand what nut free is unless you've experienced it. A lot of retail businesses are getting people who come into their store asking for chocolate. So they're learning a lot from their customers there to help fill in the gaps and answer other questions or explain to them, even if you bring in the small order, that's mostly what I say is bring in something and you will have repeat customers because it is such a unique thing. So the performance is really proven if they just take the chance. Correct. They bring in the product and they, they see that the product moves and then you've got the client. <laughs> Correct. Moving in a little bit then on a sales angle, I know you go out to trade shows because that's where we met. How many shows do you do a year? I only do two shows a year. I've tried other shows. And what I found was because I think there's still not a lot of people who are familiar with Nut Free or it doesn't so much fit into a huge display maybe at a larger chain store that we are better off taking our money. And this is what we started doing. And we hired a marketing company. And that marketing company is able to help with our website. They blog for us. They do other things that I don't have the time to do. And one of the things they'll even do for me is contact anybody who I've met at a trade show and follow up with them with an email. And that has proven to really be beneficial in addition to the fact that they do so much with the website that we move up in the rank when people do web searches. Mm -hmm. So that is how I'm gathering my customers, basically. There's three ways, word of mouth, the trade shows, and then my marketing company. And is your marketing company focusing on getting your wholesale business and consumer business both at the same time? No, I'm only focused right now on the wholesale part of it. The retail side has been established for many years. It's a walk-in tourist area, so I don't feel the need for it. So you don't have retail, direct to retail on the website? Correct. It is only wholesale. Okay. So your marketing company is really specifically focused on wholesale accounts, probably more boutique type accounts at this time? Yes. You know, it really surprises me what you say that the nut allergies aren't as known because just from my limited thinking, like that's the first allergies you started hearing about with kids going through school was specifically peanuts because peanut butter is so prevalent. Well, it used to be anyway in the schools. But it's really interesting that the industry overall doesn't have that as a more significant point because you hear about gluten-free, you hear about all the different types of diets. I'm shocked that nut allergies aren't right up there with them. It's surprising. Correct. I agree. I think it's more that people are not educated enough about it to understand the cross-contamination and what can happen if these people who are allergic eat it, how severe it can be. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a seafood allergy too. Like you, same thing if you're just in the room, any of those allergies, I guess. Yes, it could be life-threatening. 
Colton must be like really happy that the whole business now has taken another turn with him. Yeah, Colton's our official taste tester. (laughs) There you go. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. So talk with me a little bit more about your marketing company. And the reason I'm curious is, and you might have been like this for a while too, is people who own their own businesses and as they're getting started, every dollar is precious, right? And where do you spend your dollars? You need a return to keep growing the business. And we all have this concept, well, I'm just going to do it all. (laughs) I'm growing. I'm superwoman. I'm going to do it all. What was your thinking? And at what point did you decide, okay, yes, I need help. And the place that I need help is the marketing. That's a good question. And I can tell you where all this came about. I did a trade show in Atlanta. It's a very large trade show and it cost me a significant amount of money to get my product down there. It's chocolate. It does melt. Plus, I had to fly myself and another employee down to work the booth and set it all up. Had to pay for a hotel room. And by the time I was done, I came home with not one sale. And when I sat and I looked at the dollar amount, it was very discouraging because at the other shows I do, I do fantastic. This just wasn't my market. And to spend that much money and learn that that's not your market is devastating. I then decided that instead of attending more trade shows, that it was better for me to be available to people who are looking specifically for me. Instead of me going searching for them, let them search for me. Or put yourself in their path. Exactly. And today, everything's the internet. The first place I know I go when I'm doing research is the internet. You can find good stuff. You can find bad stuff, correct, incorrect information. But mostly it's at everybody's fingertips on their phone. So why wouldn't I rebuild my website, make it easier for people to place an order online? So that gives me more time than having to always pick up the phone, write the order, which takes me away from making candy. Yes, I agree that the one-on-one FaceTime is valuable. Unfortunately, the generations that are coming up like to sit home at night and place their orders and not have to talk to anybody because that takes away from their time as well. So it's a balance there. Some customers still call, some email me. It just depends on who they are and what their preference is. Making the website available to them, putting the money towards the website has increased sales, I believe. It is also giving us a higher ranking on Google which is very hard to continually rise, but that's what the marketing company works towards. And if you are not on the first one or two pages of Google, you might as well just not even almost exist. Most people, when they Google something, you're lucky if they go to the second page. Usually it's the first page. The ones that pop up mostly are, if you look, it says ad. Those Google ads are very heavily paid for. Those people pay a lot of money for them. So if you're just starting out, it's easier to chew off spending what you can with the marketing company and having them help you than trying to figure out just placing your own ads. It sounds to me like in your mind, your justification for hiring, jobbing the marketing out, if you will, was, all right, I spent all of this money on a show in Atlanta. It didn't produce a thing. The next time I'm not going to repeat the same thing because it's not your audience, to your point. I'm going to take those dollars that I would have spent somewhere else and I'm going to redirect them into hiring a marketing company, someone who knows what they're doing. So we're not, once again, shooting in the dark, trying things. And you're setting yourself up for a higher potential of success when you bring somebody in who knows what they're doing. Would that be right? That is right. And I actually come from a technology background. I was a software tester in corporate before I joined the family business. So I have a lot of experience in technology. I created all of our websites in the past. So that was something that was very hard for me to give up doing our own website and being able to do it since I had done it for about 20 years for our business. When I hired the marketing company, I knew exactly what I wanted. But with technology and how fast it changes, And with the security risks of credit cards and credit card fraud, everything, you really need to understand that you're a specialist in one area, they're specialists in another, and you need to relinquish sometimes. It'll turn out cheaper in the long run. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Have you ever heard the saying, just because you can do it doesn't mean you should? Correct. This is a perfect example because you could definitely have done it, but then that's pulling you away from something you're better at maybe and then something that you enjoy more too. And sometimes you know just enough to be dangerous. True. (laughs) I'll go with you there. I agree with you there. 
But now it's interesting that you say that you can spend more time making versus marketing is really the summary of what you're talking about. Are you still heavily involved in making of the candy versus running the business? Absolutely. I do everything. I hire, I do payroll, I pay the bills, I do all the accounting. I do have an accountant, but I do all the bookwork. I make stuff, I do all the purchasing, I go to trade shows, I find new products, I manage the retail store. I wear many different hats. It's not just this is what I do. When you own a business, you have to do everything. And although you have people assigned to certain things, you still have to oversee and improve what they're doing. Do you have structure underneath you, like someone who is overall of retail? Because obviously you can't be everywhere. You've got two locations. You're also out at trade shows. Do you have some type of hierarchy that you're starting to set into place so you know things are covered when you're not around? Yeah, we did do that numerous times. We've had managers. We've had assistant managers. The factory is, I have a right-hand girl. I consider her my factory manager. She is the one that is very talented, comes from a baking background, so comes up with new ideas, new things to cook. She's fantastic. So yes, she is my main person. In the retail store, it's not as easy as just having a manager. We've tried that. The retail store is our baby. And once you hire a manager, you give up some of your beliefs, I believe, to that manager. So what happens is is they are you when you're not there. And if they handle a situation incorrectly, not the way you'd like it, then it it reflects on you. Mm -hmm. So we have learned that we still are the managers. We have team leads. But most of the times, if there's a problem, if there's something that needs to be handled, it comes directly to us, especially with a retail customer. It's always interesting to try and think of the future and understand where you would go next for growth or help because you are doing a lot of things so far. And I think a lot of our listeners are going to be like, yeah, I'm still doing everything. (laughs) Like if I just had one other person, that would be nice. Yes. The one thing that I'm hoping is that my husband is close to retirement. And when he retires, he will come in and help me as my parents have helped me. And as my son gets older, he takes on some responsibility as well. We're going to carry on with Kim's story right after a quick break. Yes, it's possible. Increase your sales without adding a single customer. How you ask? By offering personalization with your products. Wrap a cake box with a ribbon saying, Happy 30th birthday, Annie. Or add a special message and date to wedding or party favors for an extra meaningful touch. Where else can you get customization with a creatively spelled name or fine packaging that includes a saying whose meaning is known to a select two? Not only are customers willing to pay for these special touches, they'll tell their friends and word will spread about your company and products. You can create personalized ribbons and labels in seconds. Make just one or thousands without waiting weeks or having to spend money to order yards and yards. Print words in any language or font. Add logos, images, even photos. Perfect for branding or adding ingredient and flavor labels too. For more information, go to theribbonprintcompany.com. But you know, it's nice, Kim, that you know where your interests are and your focus is too, because as you're saying, you have someone who's helping you in the factory right now, but retail really has to stay closest with you. And you also like that, it sounds like too. So being there, interacting with customers, making sure that the presence and the vibe, and I'm going to just say the brand, who you are are as a company is shown through when people walk in the door. That is correct. My father started the business and my mother left corporate and joined the business. And they both have instilled in me how they want that business to present itself to the customers. To this day, I still continue to try and implement that. So there's a super emotional connection with it as well. Correct. So were you like the little girl that I would be envious of because your parents had a chocolate shop? I was not that little girl. My father was actually a Philadelphia fireman when I was little. He did not start into the chocolate industry probably till I was in my 20s. My son, though, he is the one that all the other kids think it's fantastic that he has a candy factory and a candy store and he can go in at any time and have some chocolate. Yeah, I'm kind of jealous of him, too, to be quite (laughs) honest. (laughs) It kind of takes the fun out of it, having all the chocolate around you. I'd rather have some cake sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) 
That's funny. So let's flip over and talk a little bit about retail now, because I think a lot of the people that are listening might be making their product out of their house. But in the back of their mind, there's always this little thought of, oh, you know what? I see a shop open in the main street of my community. I wonder if I should think about retail. Maybe that would be interesting. Talk to us a little bit about the retail environment as a business owner now. Like, what do you love about retail? And maybe a couple of things for you to consider for someone who's just now thinking about starting a physical location. Retail is challenging, especially in today's world. The one thing I can say is location, location, location. And here's a good example of it. Our retail location is in a tourist destination. We've been there, like I said, over 26 years in that same location. I can tell you that it has grown. It is a fantastic retail store. Knowing that the name locally is well known, and it's also known in other states because people travel here, I decided to open another retail store for more local customers. I picked what I thought was a fantastic location, as did a lot of other people. It was right next to the largest liquor store in Pennsylvania. Thinking that they get a lot of traffic, who wouldn't stop and pair chocolate with alcohol, wine, whatever? Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. It does. Unfortunately, the name, I mean, we had our customers, but it did not support itself. Meaning that I felt it was too much, first of all, for me to have two retails and a wholesale. I spent my whole day on Fridays running back and forth between the two retail stores. And I had to evaluate what was going on and what made sense. It was a growth, but it was a very slow growth. And mainly I got the holidays because it wasn't an everyday thing. My Valentine's Day was fantastic there. Easter was good, but not the daily everyday business, which you need in order to pay rent or pay your employees. And as a business owner that already was established, I could not be in there myself. I had to pay somebody to be there. And that also made it difficult because whoever's in there is the face of your company. Right. So you had extra overhead over and above your first location because your first location was, quote unquote, your home base. Correct. Got it. And I realized that that just wasn't the right move. Today's world, a lot of people are doing these online sites, online. I'm going to just say Etsy, but it's not even Etsy. If you pay, again, a marketing company to help you create a online presence, I think that that would help. Also go into fairs and festivals. You could have a bad day there, but you could also have a really good day. And you don't have the overhead that you would have in a more retail setting, meaning the rent, the electric, the water bill, maybe cam charges, which is common area maintenance. So to start out, see how it's perceived, maybe at some fairs, some festivals, even if you're into food trucks, maybe you're in a food business, I would say a food truck or a trailer. I recommend a trailer because then if your truck breaks down, you can just hook up another trailer, (laughs) hook up another truck, I mean, to the trailer. Or pop-ups. You know how sometimes they'll have the pop-ups available, like there's an empty space and you can just rent it for a month or two just to go in there. And that way you don't have to build out the whole space either. Correct. And we see that a lot in our area where our retail stores, they do a lot of pop-ups. The one thing that I try to warn people about is pop-ups are great during holiday seasons. You're going to spend if you do it right, probably about five to $6,000 maybe getting it set up. You're hitting the market of the holiday season. So don't be fooled that come January, it's going to be a ghost town. So if you decide like, hey, this is great. And then you want to sign a lease because you think it's always going to be like that. It's not. January, February, March in retail are pretty slow usually. We've been very fortunate. We're weather-based, so we've been having some warmer weather here in Pennsylvania that our retail store this year is doing much better than it's done in the past. Mm -hmm. So definitely, I mean, there's ebbs and flows by month of the business that you're going to get. So a couple questions here. How long did you keep that second shop open? Usually a business can make it or break it within, I think it's three to four years, if I remember correctly. That's usually your time frame. I believe I did it for almost a year and a half. So I cut it short. I saw the writing on the wall and decided that the money that I was spending on my retail location could be utilized elsewhere. For instance, the marketing company and build up what I already have rather than try to build up another retail store. And it sounds like it was wearing you down too with all the commuting back and forth and all. 
Yes, it was. I'm really glad we talked about this because it just shows that a successful business owner such as yourself can try things. You already talked about Atlanta. By the way, I went to Atlanta. My only show ever I did where also I didn't sell a thing. Kind of interesting. (laughs) (laughs) When you were saying that, I'm like, my heart was like, I know that story. (laughs) But, you know, it, it just shows that there are things to try. Like you said, Atlanta and then the second shop. And just because that didn't work doesn't mean you're not doing things right. It was something that you tested, you saw that it wasn't right, you readjusted back, and you're successful based on the things that you're doing here. So I don't think it's bad to try anything. Calculated risk, maybe I'd say. Don't bet everything and start a retail shop from scratch. That's pretty risky, if you ask me. Yeah, don't put all your money out there. I've been taught through the years, we try not to take loans. A lot of retail businesses take loans. The loans will sink you. If you have your own money, (laughs) it's better to loan your business your own money and then be able to pay yourself back than pay those interest rates. Yeah, good point. That is something that I've learned through the years. If you don't have the money, then maybe you can do without that extra melter or maybe you should not go into taking on such a large amount of rent each month. If that's the case, take a smaller store, start smaller. You can always go bigger. Right. Or wholesale and see how things are going through wholesale accounts, to your point. Correct. And so what do you then attribute the retail spot you have now? You said it's more of a tourist market. What do you attribute the success of that store to? Because it's still retail. Yes, it is still retail. We have a lot of suppliers that we carry a lot of different things. One thing is my father always, his niche years ago was nostalgic candy. Oh, (laughs) yeah. So people coming in, walking down memory lane, in addition to all the new things that are out there, the spicy things, just things that you don't see every day, we try to carry in our store along with the everyday things. In addition to the everyday things, we also have the nut-free line now. The nut-free line has now taken over what was the nostalgic line. We're still doing nostalgic, but a lot of the manufacturers of nostalgic candy have been going out of business in the several past several years. For instance, I don't know if you know marshmallow cones. They're the two little marshmallows in a thing that look like a cone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They have just closed their doors. So you will not be seeing them unless another person, for instance, another chocolatier, another candy maker decides to purchase their equipment and try making their product. That was one of our big sellers, marshmallow cones. So as those items start to go away, you need to find another new niche. And our niche is the nut-free now. That's today's world. In addition to the nostalgic candies can be found online. I'm competing with Amazon. And that makes it very challenging when you have Amazon involved. For sure. You referred to this a little bit earlier, especially when we were talking about your retail shop and that you have a certain way you want the business to be presented and how people will interact with customers, etc. Can you give us a couple of warnings or thoughts or your impressions of how interactions should be handled in the store? Our policy, and it's also the location where we are is policy. So it's not just our policy alone. And it's something that I guess that the village where we are has implemented saying that this is something that's successful, which is as a customer walks in, you say hello, acknowledge who they are, ask them if they need any help finding anything. If they need help, take the time to walk them through some suggestions. Make sure that you're always smiling, always helpful. Being personable, you're always going to have that one customer that comes in that's having a bad day and retail can be challenging because of that. But at the end of the day, you want them to walk out of your store feeling good about themselves and knowing that they want to come back. Yeah, because I think the thing now about retail, it's everything about the experience. You know, as you were talking, you can buy pretty much everything online. Amazon, you can have it tomorrow, even if you're traveling, right? You can have things delivered to your hotel in a day or two. So it's all about the experience and having people feel good about the interaction in your store. Have you ever been in a shop where you walk in, no one says anything to you, and they might as well not even be there? It's very awkward. It's super awkward. And then you have the opposite side where someone is like hovering over you as as if they think you're a thief or every single thing you pick up and look at, they want to sell it to you, you know, when you're just really looking and thinking. I think there's a fine balance. I don't know if it's 
intuition on behalf of the people who are working in a store? I would tend to say that it probably is. Like there has to be that fine balance of welcoming them, letting them know that you're available, and then backing off and just letting people look. Yes. And one of the other things is, is today in retail, one of the biggest problems is social media and reviewing customers and getting a fair review. Unfortunately, a lot of shoppers today are quick to judge you. If they walk into your store, you don't say hello, or they feel as though you looked at them funny. You could get a negative comment put up on the internet so everybody can see it. Now, these star ratings, you have to be cautious enough to read through and read between the lines that somebody else was having a bad day maybe, and they gave you a bad review. As an owner, you have to take the time if you can, reply to their comments, But you also have to know when to respond and when not to even open a can of worms, in my opinion. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I bet that's tricky because if there is an issue, you want to know about it. You want to try and at least in some way do right by that customer. But then let's also face it. I mean, people are so easily able to put a negative review. And it's almost like the reviews that usually go up or people are going to say, oh, I'm going to say something on social media about this because I think that it's kind of a power move, actually. Correct. I agree. Versus just, I don't know what they do. Well, they could just not come back, which is equally not good, I guess. You want to know if there's a problem. But I think people are too trigger happy with social media, I guess I'd say. Yeah, I agree with that. So are there any tricks or tips that you'd give that help attract people to come into the store? Because you can't do all this goodness with interacting with customers unless they walk in the door. One of the things that, I mean, and again, we're in a unique situation. We're in a village area, so everybody works together pretty much. There's a corporate office that puts things together and festivals, having special events, I guess, to kind of draw attention to your business would be good. We do several festivals a year. I'm going to say there's almost a festival every month, sometimes two. And it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. But in the end, I think it brings more people to you. And that is put together by the group of you or the village that you're leasing from? Yes, they put out a calendar of all of our events and they help market it. I mean, we pay for that marketing and for everything, but we have our own items. For instance, on Apple Festival, we will do candy apples, caramel apples, and we will advertise that. We'll do cotton candy, which we usually don't usually do in the store, but we'll do a booth outside. I think it's important to do things like that. People get to come out and enjoy different products at the time. They look forward to it, I think, as well. Well, that sounds good. Like for someone who's looking for a retail spot, if they have that type of situation, like I know in our community and also the community over, there are specific Apart from the Chamber of Commerce, there are specific groups that are their whole purpose in living is attracting people into our small hometowns. Our one here is Visit Bucks County. And Visit Bucks County, I mean, we're a member of them. And they are fantastic in helping businesses connect with other businesses. So I would even say if your town or wherever you are has something like that, that is also a great avenue. They do a lot of marketing. You can be teamed up with other businesses. And I think that that's something nice to do. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm kind of thinking if you don't have anything like that, you don't necessarily need to throw up your hands. Maybe there are a couple of compatible businesses in your area where you could initiate and maybe find two or three other businesses and do something together. Correct. So it doesn't have to be someone else doing it for you. We can do it for ourselves. What has been a big challenge in your business that you could warn people about? And what have you done to figure things out? We've talked about a couple already with the retail shop, et cetera, but can you give us another one? Another one that is a challenge, employees. Employees are probably my number one challenge. And the reason being is it's hard to find people who want to work, are reliable, that are within budget. And I'm not the only one who says that. All other business owners that I speak to mostly all have the same complaint. It's finding employees to work. I've heard that too, finding good employees. I don't know, that just goes against my morals, I guess. Like if you have agreed to accept a job, it wouldn't even be on my radar to just not show up. Well, I can go one step further on that. I have placed ads out there. I have had people reply to them, send me their resume, fill out an application. I schedule an interview. They cancel to reschedule to not show up or they just never show up or contact me. 
and th- it's not a one-time occurrence we're talking this could be happening this happened at least three four times I've heard it happen to other people too. <laughs> and retail staff does turn frequently, right? So it's not, I mean, you hear that certain person who stayed in retail, not being the owner now, but working the floor and working with customers, et cetera, who have stayed for years. But for the most part, there's a lot of transition in your staff, I would imagine. There is. And it's mostly our high school girls. We've been very lucky. We have one woman who's been with us 17 years. Her daughter had started working for us, and then she did, and she stuck with us. And another one that started with us when she was 15, she is now married with a kid and in her 30s, I guess. So she has gone, come back, gone, come back, and she's back again. She went to college, everything, didn't like her field. So she's one of my go-to girls in my retail store. And then in my factory, the other one has been with us over 10 years. So we do have some of our core people that I will do whatever I can for them and to hold on to them. They are the ones that know the business. They know the product line, which is extremely important. If somebody walks into the store or comes ask questions about the products in the wholesale, if your staff doesn't understand the product or know the product, you could possibly lose a sale or they could get misinformation. Well, you're definitely doing something right. When I mean, you don't just have one, you have several people who have stayed with you for a long, long time. So apart from people not showing up and rescheduling interviews, is there anything that you look for that you feel kind of weights the scales that they're going to be a good employee? You know, one thing that we've noticed and sometimes makes it hard to schedule, but if we're talking about the high school kids, we find that the kids are, and I'm not pushing sports or anything, kids are involved in sports, music, some kind of extracurricular activity where they have to be part of a team, have proven to be some of our best employees. I don't know if it's because they're used to having to work together, know that there's a responsibility you need to show up for things, but I find that a lot of our extracurricular activity kids have been very talented. That's interesting. It makes sense because there is a responsibility to their teammates or whatever. So they have that already instilled in them. And you know how they say that if you ever need anything done, ask someone who's busy. (laughs) You know, they're already busy, but somehow they fit it in and get it done. But I'd never heard that before. And that was a great tip. The other kind of side note with that is if their team knows that they work for you, maybe they'll be coming in to say hi and buying some candy. That's (laughs) true. So there's that. We can put that in the word of mouth sales. Or they bring their friends in to get in a job as well. Right. We hire friends of employees. Yes. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So as you look out into the future, what do you see happening with Skips Candy? And I'll include the whole nut-free category. Where do you see it all going? Well, I see it getting bigger. I mean, that's always the goal is to grow it. I would like eventually to have a third generation chocolatier. I do have a third generation chocolatier, whether or not this is his, what he wants to do, it's up to him. Does Colton know this yet? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. He makes a lot of stuff. (laughs) He has different ideas. He wanted to be a chocolatier for many years. Now he wants to be a police officer. We'll see where it goes. I know people who are third or fourth and even fifth generation in the chocolate business. And that does not mean that he has to jump right in. He can go out and explore other areas. But this is something that I would like to continue and to grow so that if he decides he wants to do it, he can just take it over and have something that is enjoyable. The candy business itself is a fun business. It's a very unique group of people. They're willing to help each other. It's not like other businesses where you see some negativity, some cutthroat. We all help each other. So I think that that, that's also very important, something that I would like to see. Somebody who has the passion for it and the love for it take it over. If my son didn't take it over as I would get into my retirement years, I would probably go to one of my long-term employees and see if we can't work something out where they would take it and mm-hmm. they continue in my path and still let me do whatever <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> yes. So you still have a hand in. Well, I'm guessing no matter what, you'd still be able to walk in and ha- get some free samples here and there, no matter what. I would hope so. That would be part of the contract for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> At least it would be part of my contract <laughs> if I had a, a company like that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I know you're nowhere near that, but it's always something as you look out into the future, these years go faster than we all think. And it's good to think of what the next steps would be, even if they're far off. Yes. 
Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate you being on the show today. Where could people go and learn more about Skip's Candies, both from a retail aspect, and then we do have shops who may be interested in having some nut-free categories displayed on their shelves as well. So where would you send people? If you wanted to go and use the web, we have two different websites. Wholesale website is skipscandies.com. And the retail website is skipscandycorner.com. Perfect. Okay. And Gift Biz listeners, you know there's a show notes page that's going to be attached to the episode. We'll have all the links there as well as social media site links, all the things that we normally do, of course. So you can get to Kim and Skip's Candies in many ways. So Kim, thank you so much. This has been so interesting. I met you and Mike as we were talking earlier at a trade show when you were exhibiting And I was honestly, and I don't know why this would be, but I was surprised how delicious the candy was. And I don't know why I would have thought, I guess I was kind of equating it to sugar-free. I don't know why I would place them in the same category, but now I understand how it's so different and your products are delicious. I absolutely love them. It's been a pleasure having you on, hearing your story, and really, really great insight and information, not only into wholesale perspective, but also the retail shop. So I know it's going to be really helpful for all of our listeners here. So I appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you for having me. As someone who has family members with nut allergies, I'm so happy to know more about how Skip's Candies ensures the purity and takes serious steps against contamination. A little discouraging that there aren't more federal regulations, but good to know where things stand overall. And speaking of federal regulations, we're going to talk about CBD next week. Regardless of where you stand on the CBD topic, or if you don't even know what I'm talking about, it's a hot issue these days and only getting more and more popular. You'll get all the details and some things you might not know, even if you think you've got this topic covered. That's all coming up when we get together again next week. And as we close out today, one more reminder, go check out Makers MBA at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash Makers MBA. I'll see you again next week.